for me to see the non-verbal cues because you guys are all in the same room. There were there were many. There were many. <laughs> well, I think that I'll start, and I I, I just want to say first that I'm glad that we all have a very different background in settings because I do think that the clinical swallow eval slash screen is is very different depending on your setting and how how long it is what you use it for what the goals are I think are really different um so I will preface this by saying my clinical experience is very heavy in acute care specifically in the ICU with patients that are really critically ill and for me the clinical evaluation one of the most important pieces is evaluating if a patient is even medically cognitively ready to participate in an evaluation of swallowing whether that's giving them something at the bedside or determining if they're appropriate for an instrumental evaluation before i even get there it's is this patient following commands are they medically stable from a pure medical standpoint to participate right and i think you know for me the first thing my clinical evals start by reading the chart and walking into the patient's room and seeing what is going on with the patient so for me that's that's a really key a, a key place to start because if you omit the clinical eval which i don't even think is a discussion you you can't just bring any patient that's referred for dysphagia down to flora. You need to evaluate if they're appropriate for that. Right, because the good Lord knows we can't expect the people who referred us <laughs> in the first place, consulted us to do it, because some people haven't been awake in 10 years and you're like, are you really asking me to put food in this person's mouth right now? It's like, uh, he's not even awake, so. Yeah, I, I have a handful of that situation daily where the patient is nowhere near appropriate to go down to fluoro. Um, and I want to be careful using the word screen because screen is something you don't need skills to do. Is that true? Well, many people can screen. Like for instance, our nursing screen here and actually at my last facility was maybe four yes, no questions that nursing or sometimes text. And I'm not saying those are unskilled people, but their skills are not as focused as ours are. So a screen, it just means that it's not an in-depth evaluation study. We screen for things yeah. as SLPs. We screen for voice mm -hmm. at the bedside, but we don't actually truly evaluate it. We screen for cognition, even if we don't do a full battery. We screen for language, all in the clinical eval, right? It just means that it's not an in-depth evaluation, but I agree with you. When an outside discipline is testing swallowing, mm -hmm. it's probably always a screen because they yeah. typically can't do much more, even if they wanted to call it an eval. Yeah. We would be like, yeah, baby doll, that's a screen. Which but you just did. Well, <laughs> and I would be concerned too what outside payers would think if we were to change our vernacular and start calling it a screen rather than an eval. So here's the interesting thing that you're saying. There is what we would call it and what we know we're doing. Mm -hmm, exactly. So, so I'm not, I agree with you. Do we want to go and change things to get you know, billing all messed up. That's not the point, because you know what, billing is is a totally different issue. 
But the question is, billing doesn't know that we didn't see the things that we right. commented on as well. So calling it an eval and not actually having seen the structures we said are deficient is another reason to get billing involved negatively, potentially, right? right? It, it depends on what you're screening yeah. for. So if a nurse or a tech or somebody may be screening for an SLP to come, yeah, red, just looking for red flags, where for us, screening for dysphagia, when I walk into a clinical eval, my question is this, do I think this person has dysphagia or not? If the answer mm -hmm. is yes, I'm sending them to fluoro to see the swallow. Yeah. Well, okay, so I'm hearing some different terms, but I think we're saying the same thing. Mm -hmm. When I go in, I'm assessing for risk. Do I think based on this person's diagnosis, this and that, how they're presenting at bedside, that they have a high risk for aspiration, or does their medical history show me that they may have been aspirating based on their chest x-rays, anything like that? That's a person I'm taking to fluoro. So I'm kind of assessing for risk and then to see if there is presence of dysphagia or aspiration, that's when I'm going to, to fluoro. So mm -hmm. it's kind of like assessing for the risk and then confirming with fluoro is yep. how I see my workflow, if you will. Mm -hmm. Rinky? I completely agree with Beth and I think just I have a problem with the word screen just because a screen is a pass-fail test. Like Beth said, is it, it can be done by anyone. Is it? It is because I think an evaluation, when you're looking at someone's history, their medical chart to see what other medical diagnosis could be contributing to said aspiration or high risk of aspiration or the sus suspicion that this person can have dysphagia, you're doing a series of tests which involves cranial nerve testing, patient interviews, bolus presentations, you're doing your oral motor exam, and you're doing these to come to a hypothesis of what the problem is, what could possibly be contributing to the problem, because dysphagia is a symptom of something. Um, and whether, like you said, if this person's ready for an instrumental exam, what um, uh, interventions we could try when they're in the floral suite. All of that is not a screen, because you're evaluating the person's ability to do um, certain tasks, which I, a nurse couldn't do. Exactly. I think the key here is what are we evaluating? Exactly. It's are we evaluating dysphagia or are we evaluating all of the things that make the patient the patient that sets them up to go and evaluate dysphagia? Right. So that's, the, that's mm -hmm. I think, the fundamental difference between my agreement right now i don't know where i'm going to be in 30 minutes you guys might talk me out of this right now i'm with alicia on the use of the term screen i care very little about the ex this extent to which somebody thinks that we don't we are not skilled if in fact we aren't skilled we're not going to hide behind the word evaluation and suddenly they're gonna be like oh well if you do evals then you're totally skilled so i do hear people say we can't say screen because they're going to think that we're not skilled and we're just like a nurse. They may already think that <laughs> despite the fact that we say evaluation. Yeah. So let's actually just be skilled. Right. Then we can say call it doo-doo for all we care. It's just mm -hmm. like it is what it is, right? So that's one. And two is clinical swallowing evaluation. So the swallowing is the key thing that this evaluation is. Now, tell me this, guys. Do you walk into a room and overhear a patient in a conversation with a caregiver and go, boom, you got expressive dysphagia and right now you would score this on this test. I don't even need to break out any batteries of language because I, I know. No, you would not. That would be a screen, right? You'd be yeah. like, 
But somehow in swallowing, you can never see the swallow and make a full on dysphagia diagnosis without going to fluoro. So, so the, it's, the problem I have is that swallowing is in the word of the eval, but we actually never saw it, but we're scared to call it a scream. I'm so, confused. So the question is, can you evaluate swallowing when you've never seen it at the bedside? Yeah. I, so by swallowing, say, you mean pharyngeal phase, but yeah. Oh, oh, yes. Let's define let's swallowing. Yeah, yeah, let's yeah. define that. Okay, we gotta yeah. go deeper. Good point, guys. Mm -hmm. Good question, Rinky. When I talk about a swallow, in this situation, I'm not talking about can you? Do you know who I am? I'm not talking about do you know what food is? All the stuff before the food ever gets to your mouth, I'm totally ignoring that. Are you guys ignoring that too? Because some people yes. think that mm -hmm. identifying food means just, is the same thing as evaluating the mechanism of a swallow. Mm-mm. Do you, uh, so I don't know if, does that mean you agree or disagree? I'm confused. <laughs> do, okay. So, so if someone doesn't recognize okay. food, right? Yes. They don't even know what food is. Does that mean that you can say something about the mechanism of their swallow? Oh, no, definitely okay, not. Good. All right. So all the stuff before the food hits your mouth, we agree, is not, is not swallowing. Okay. Now, the food has hit your mouth and you're manipulating it in your oral cavity. Is that, just that manipulation, a swallow? Uh, but I would say it's a part of the swallow. Part, is yeah. It, no, I would say it's it, a is it, swallowing. Is it then chewing gum? Is chewing gum chewing gum, or is it chewing? Is it swallowing? I think it's, it's mastication. part of the process it's a, it's of swallowing. Thing. I mean, I am chewing. I'm not. I'm not um, initiating a pharyngeal phase of my swallow. But I, I just think if you look at the MBS IMP components, are you not looking at how the person closes their lips? <laughs> manipulates their tongue, pushes their tongue back. Okay, are you, are you no, not looking cool. at mastication in, I mean, in a, in that's, a floral? That's you a are. totally valid thing. So let's talk about the fact that you think that mastication and oral prep, let's say it's a pudding, so yeah, you don't I, want to chew it. I say the oral prep, it's sure, preparation sure. for the swallow. I agree right. with you. So all that stuff, Frankie, be it chewing, or if it's a pudding, you're just organizing it in your mouth. Let's talk about whether or not we can evaluate that then. I think you can evaluate portions. Like I don't... I don't judge base of tongue retraction by a bedside, but I can kind of talk about chewing, like in a kid will look for a vertical chew versus a rotary chewing pattern and where are they biting? Are they using their lateral incisors? And in an adult, so, what might you do? In an adult, I'm more so looking at oral acceptance, pocketing, how long they're masticating, what residue is left after. So the actual mm -hmm. mechanism of the mastication, is that included in pocketing? Is that included in duration? And is that included in residue afterward? Uh, not necessarily. It's really, same thing as I guess with the fees, if I'm gonna use kind of a strange analogy. I can see before, I can see after, but I don't really necessarily see during. I but you can make guesses as to what results in that. And it is a guess, it's a hypothesis. Yeah. It's so are we, are, we lit, are we missing as much, almost as much information with oral prep as we are with the swallow, except the only thing with the swallow is you can't see, see the pharyngeal residue. So do you yes, understand yes, what I'm setting you up for? I completely I'm going to say that you. one more time. I'm going to say it one more yes. time. Yeah. I, said, I said it fast. It kind of went. No, no I, I'm with you. <laughs> so are we saying that we are seeing, doing the same thing in oral prep and mastication as we're doing with the swallow, because we're judging it by residue, we're not seeing the mastication, we're seeing the residue, except with the swallow, we get even less because we don't even get pharyngeal residue. Yes, I completely agree with that. And I'll tell you why, is because when we talk about the oral phase, we have to think, well, what's the, conse the negative consequence of a bad oral phase? One is 
you end up having posterior spillage to the pharynx. That's a risk of aspiration, right? Mm -hmm. When you can't control what's in your mouth and it goes back into your pharynx before you want it mm -hmm. to. That to me is a major consequence of a bad oral phase. Yeah. And the problem when we evaluate the oral phase is we can't see that. You can't see premature spillage. So I think that evaluating the oral phase, we're much more limited in what we can actually see than what we think. So you can see a patient chewing a cracker by their jaw moving, but you don't really see what the tongue is doing while you they're don't. chewing. You don't. It's not you don't really. You don't you see don't it. You don't see it. You don't see You can see residue on their tongue after, but you don't know how much has is in their pharynx before they've and what does swallowed. residue on the yeah. tongue after tell you? It tells you one of two, three things. One, they don't even feel it, so they're not going to try to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. Two, they feel it, but they can't get rid of it. Four, they feel it, and they tried to get rid of it. They couldn't because range of motion, strength, whatever you want to. I mean, it could be sensory. It could be motor. And I don't sometimes know. Sometimes it's the bolus. Yeah. Just so, the viscosity. The yeah, the viscosity, how dry is their right. mouth. There's they another haven't issue. They have been eating There's, for a while. Exactly. So. But I don't. That's believe that you can say by judging at the bedside that a patient has oral a normal oral phase I don't think you can you can make assumptions same with with mm -hmm. the pharynx like we tell people at the bedside with the pharyngeal phase we say I don't think you have any concerns for dis I don't have any concerns for dysphagia for you you have no risk factors for aspiration and you leave them be you don't take them down to fluoro mm -hmm. you make that judgment and but really ever do we know at the bedside no no but we make judgments on risk like you said mm -hmm. and it's the same with the oral phase you never really know how adequate the oral phase is at the bedside but why is this even a big deal to not know this is what i don't understand there's so much emotion and angst tied up with things like screen or what do we know if somebody goes to their primary care physician with symptoms of a stroke and he or she as the primary care physician says you know, I really don't think you need an MRI. I don't know if you've had a stroke, but something's telling me that this is, you know, something else. Something else. That is a judgment. But they that, do wait, a that is evaluation. A they do an evaluation to see if the person has had a stroke, and they can very easily tell if dancers, yes or no, and even probably tell you if it's cortical or subcortical. And what are you talking about? Clinical or the MRI? Are you talking about the no? When you oh. when you walk into a physician's office mm -hmm. or go to a neurologist. Every person is not imaged right away, or, or an evaluation is completed. That's yeah. my point. My but point that is... that has value. Oh, that hey, guess what? Nobody, yeah. this is why I started this whole yeah. conversation with just because we're talking about the clinical swallowing evaluation, it doesn't mean we think it should go away. Right. We're not saying it doesn't have value. We're saying what is the value? Where are we over-interpreting with mm -hmm. no information? And right. why is it, uh -huh. it, is it okay to say, look, not only do I not know, this setup, this test was never meant to tell me that. Right. And we have to go back and say, are we... Are we trying to overinterpret and make something more than it is? And my point with the, with the physician was that he or she would say, I can't confirm or deny your stroke. All I can do is decide whether or not you should have imaging to mm -hmm. confirm it or deny it, although your symptoms do or don't look that way. It means there's value in the clinical eval. Yeah. It's valuable. Yeah. It's just not conclusive. Right. It's and like, it's never meant to be. It's like the patient anymore. that comes in and says, one time I choked on a pill. Yeah. And it was traumatic, but I choked on a pill. It's never happened since. I've never. I don't have any history. 
that's concerning for dysphagia, you're probably not going to send that patient for imaging. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You make a decision and you say, I don't think that you have dysphagia. But to circle us back to the main point, which is that can we evaluate swallowing at the bedside? So I would agree you can, I'm going to go say you can evaluate for risk, but can we fully evaluate the swallow? No. I think the difference between us and the neurologist is really how ingrained we are in the system. So speech pathologists are still kind of in this culture of we're fighting to show that we're relevant and that we're important and have a place. Like mm-hmm. I know myself and colleagues are always talking about how we were arguing with this nurse or trying to prove a point to this person. So I think that term evaluation, the neurologist doesn't have to argue for his right. value we're and really his expertise value, yeah. and or we're her really, value. We're really good at but evaluating risk. Like we, you said. And that's what we're doing is we're evaluating risk. Exactly. But I think we're still arguing for our, that we are skilled and that swallowing is an area that requires skill and that our expertise has value right. because others uh-huh. think they can do the same thing. So I think that's where this is coming from is a deeper place of, exactly. but no, what we're doing is important. That's right. exactly what I think. And it's, it, it reminds me of people who, this is going to be a weird analogy, but like new, you guys know about new money and old money? Yes. Yeah. Like, okay. So the new yeah. money people, they roll up in this fancy bright Lexus with like spinners and whatnot and they're like see I'm part of you guys and it's like you wouldn't be you wouldn't need to work so hard on the rims of your car if you were really rich like that's That's not what that's not what like all all rich people do like they don't waste their time on spinners because we actually money is a thing like it's just a background it's like yeah it's there no one's proving themselves like the neurologist the neurologist doesn't have to go you should know that this is not a screen it's like I don't care who cares yeah it's like I have value. Yeah. What I say I is have, important. Exactly. And take it or leave I don't it. need I don't need to prove mm-hmm. that to you, but we're busy trying to prove that we matter. And I think we're doing ourselves a disservice by virtue of making a big deal over something that is the wrong thing to make a deal over. Right. And I think it's the therapist in long term care that I've heard talking to my friends and actually hey, having gotten consults. I'm a therapist in long term care. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Rinky. But um <laughs> When I've gotten consults from people, that seems to be where I get a lot of the pushback. And I think it is because they are, depending on the facility, really fighting and sometimes being minimized to meal obs or feeding assistance. So before we move on, I just need to save this. And then what you said, Beth, there's so much in that point. Okay, Beth, you said something that is... Pandora's box, can of worms, whatever. (laughs) There is a fight that happens a lot between clinicians who have access to instrumentals Mm -hmm. versus clinicians who don't. And you talked about the fact that we're, as a field, fighting for value in a medical setting that we were not adequately prepared for, Mm -hmm. right? Uh So that already makes us have an inferiority complex. On top of even within our field, swallowing is not as um, well not respected, but it doesn't get the same attention as speech and language. It's not even in our title. Yeah. It's better speech yeah. and hearing month. And we have to like go in and insert the, the swallowing to be like, hey, we matter too. So all of that makes us go, you know, you feel like you're the oppressed group and you have to scream and we have to burn our bras in front of everybody mm-hmm. and whatnot, right? <laughs> so fine. So what I think is, so there are people who are speech pathologists in a medical facility who over time learned the language and really made people go, wow, you are just like a nurse or an RT or every, everybody else. And when I say RT, I mean respiratory therapist, not recreation therapist. I just want to make that clear, okay? Or radiation tech. Or, or radiation tech, right, exactly. So 
then there are people who are in a facility where they will never have instrumentals and all they have is the clinical swallowing valve. So now you're taking away the Lexus from that. <laughs> that was the one thing they had to show that they have money and now you done tore off the spinners mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. told them to go back to wherever they came from. And I think that's a concern and it brings me back to Alicia's point about your setting matters. And I wrote this down because it reminds me of this old joke that Chris Rock used to talk about with regard to Tussin. You guys know what Tussin is? Robitussin. Okay. <laughs> so there's this whole joke he tells that in his poor family, his dad would say, put some Tussin on it. I don't care if you have a broken leg, if you got something in your eye, you got conjunctivitis, or you have a cough, put some Tussin on it, because that's all we have. They put yeah. Tussin on everything. If you burn your arm, put some Tussin on it, right? So I worry that when that's all you have, it means so much more to you, yeah. and it becomes overused, misused, yeah. and overinterpreted to show that I can tell if there's an osteophyte by listening to the neck. Right. That's yeah. what I worry about. I think that I, I think you nailed it on the head when you said it gets it, it's overused. Yeah. And it's one of those things that kind of perpetuates the problem. So, in you know, if you're in a long-term facility and you don't have access to instrumentation, and I'm going to preface this by saying I'm not making this a instrumentation versus clinical eval talk, but when you have to over rely on the clinical eval then that becomes standard you're set up to fail so when you start saying oh patient had decreased um swallow initiation at the bedside when you make these statements other medical professionals believe that that's what you can do at the bedside right and mm -hmm. instead of acknowledging its limitations it just perpetuates the problem and you there's no change. And then you start to train poor young students who come in and they don't understand why they can't hear the aspiration or why they can't know that the UES is a problem or how come they didn't see that the tongue was clearly allowing the bolus to get into the pharynx too early. And then they start to make their own, should I say, magic? I mean, what? how do you know that? How do you know that the swallow was three seconds late how did you and you gotta know that stuff I think yeah. as a but I, I read them to, and you, yeah. I read them in reports all the time how can we even confirm I mean I know I'm going there but can we confirm a swallow on a clinical swallowing eval can you confirm a swallow no first of all do we agree on what I'm talking at this point I'm talking about the pharyngeal phase right yeah. I'm not talking about mastication but can we say that a person swallowed no I, I got one vote you can how do you know they <laughs> attempted well, okay, you're going to hate me for this. I, <laughs> I do palpate, but it's just to see, did they try to swallow? So I swallow judge, attempts. yeah, I, I judge hyolaryngeal elevation. As an attempt. As an attempt to yeah. swallow. I, but I don't that doesn't mean that. all the mechanics of the swallow happened, yeah. and I acknowledge that. I was only asking yeah. what your criteria is. That's all I was I asking. I mean, if we're judging yeah. a swallow as they cleared the, the UES and the bolus has transferred, no, I can't judge it at bedside. So what you're saying, so Alicia voted no, you can't confirm that a swallow happened at the bedside. You can suspect, and you can write that in your yeah. note. And you're you not can missing make really educated guesses on yeah. it. I mean, and that's the whole, that's where our skill comes in, is we are really good at judging risk. We're really good at um, making judgments, but we can't confirm. And that's where, that's where our skilled services are in a clinical swallow evaluation 
that's different than a nursing bedside screen is that we are really good at reading through a patient's chart, picking out things that are salient, picking out subtle things on what the patient is doing, but it, all it does is formulate, to me, the swallow eval, the, the clinical eval is really easy. Do you think they have dysphagia or not? But Alicia, to be fair, if you do think they have dysphagia and then you're set up to treat them the next day and there's no floral inside and you're at a um, sniff, then what? You don't go to your, I mean, you tomorrow, tomorrow morning, you don't go to your rehab director and say, I do think this person has dysphagia, so we need a floral. And they go, no, you're never getting one. No one here gets one. Then you go, okay, so I'm not treating them. They go, okay, well, there are 10 SLPs outside waiting for your job. Get out of here. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I, I get what you're saying, but yeah. to play the other end of the coin is they have to make a treatment eval. And they're expected. So here's the thing. We've been setting ourselves up for this. It's not even the people who are there now. It's the people before them and the people before them who said this is a thing. Mm -hmm. This is a thing that we can do. And so now you're expected to do the thing that all the other magicians did. Mm -hmm. And you're not that good at magic. And you're going to die in your little box of, you know, water or whatever those people do in Vegas. Then, doc then document. Like that sounds really terrible. I don't think it's that bad. I, I just think as a field, <laughs> if we can... Because I've been, I've had the Lexus and I've been in acute care where I have had access to flora with each and every one of my patients and now I am in long-term care where I don't. But I just think as a field, like I was saying, we just need to agree that your clinical eval was, is not going to help you identify any physiological impairment of the pharynx. We can't comment on airway protection with 100% confidence. You cannot comment on anything related to bolus flow and you can't find you can't say you detected aspiration that's silent that's just i'm sure all of us agree on that but i think like you said when you don't have access to fluoro you still have to be able to do the best clinical evaluation that you can versus just observing someone at meal time and you do have to start treating the patient the next day so i think the clinical evaluation is the best surrogate you have to an instrumental yes we should have access to instrumental but when you don't I think it can be a powerful tool if used correctly. Yeah. I think the key though, Rinky, is documentation. I think that yeah, the, I completely agree with what you just said and where it becomes exactly what it should be and what it is, is when you document in your reports and say, we can't see the physiology. I don't actually know what's wrong with the swallow. I think by doing, I you mean, can't get billed, you can't get billing for treatment that way. You can't say, I have no clue what's wrong with this patient, so I'm going to work on the tongue. That's my point about bringing right. up treatment. You can say, I have, I, I think where this diverges a little is that I certainly try strategies at the bedside to try yeah. to get a better understanding of what I think the physiology may be. Mm -hmm. And you can talk about that you think aspiration risk has been reduced uh -huh. using different strategies, but it's very important, I think, with the documentation and what we're saying it is and what it's not. Mm -hmm. And I think that that documentation can be really powerful so that over and over with every patient that you see you're constantly saying that you don't know what the physiology is you can't confirm not to say that you need to stop i can't see this patient i can't pick them up but you have to acknowledge the limitation in your writing i think that's essential yeah well and i think some people aren't comfortable with that ambiguity like if you read one of my notes it probably sounds like oh she's not sure about anything because it's may represent yeah. at risk for potential of but not giving a hard, fast, black and white answer. Um, I'm not even sure you can always give a hard, fast, 
You can, but, but you can't. Yeah, that's the but right you thing can't, to do. Even in um, even a fluoroscopy, though, because we're only getting a moment in time. And I've had plenty of patients with. I had this one guy who was intubated like twenty guys, twenty times. Terrible chest X-rays. Looked awful at bedside. Had a perfect swallow study for me. We did one a week later, which was the exact opposite. So, I mean, it's we get we get a sampling. Yeah. No matter what right. you do, you're never going to get the whole picture. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean. That we shouldn't even be comparing clinical bedsides to fluoros. They're mm -hmm. not the same no. thing. You don't compare a knee-jerk test to an MRI. You don't compare, you know, drooling and, you know, facial weakness to an MRI. Mm -hmm. They're totally different tests. And that's okay. I just think we need to be okay with the fact that ambiguity is what happens when you can't see stuff. Like I uh -huh. always say, if a PT is evaluating fall risk from outside of the room and just listening to thud sounds, how well do you think that that PT is going to determine whether or not the person even fell or just dropped something, or and how they fell? Treating the mechanics. Yeah, and now well, they're now they're treating them by saying, "Oh, you're, we're going to practice on stairs with you." Well, how did you decide that? Yeah. Well, okay, if I can jump into that a little bit though, when I watch my PT colleagues treat, they're working by trial and error which is what I think we're doing when we are treating without a fluoro. Like if we're at a place where we can't get a fluoro. But they can see the problem. Well, they, they can, but they can't necessarily see the source of the problem. Well, no one, none of us can. Exactly. None of us can see the source. I mean, so, we can see the MRI and that maybe they had a stroke in their insula or something like that. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that they can't see that person cannot bear weight. They, when they have a person who's weak and they they cannot bear their own weight and they can't even look at a, a, a leg press machine, they've evaluated weakness. We say weakness for everything and everyone gets the dog on, you know, lingual strengthening because I don't know, I they <laughs> kind of don't know what else to do after yeah. the bedside. But let's say you're my stroke patient and we're at an outside facility where I can't get fluoro for like three weeks. Mm -hmm. And every time I give you a sip of water, you cough, you cough, you cough. I can mm -hmm. say, ooh, that's a pretty high aspiration risk based on what you're doing. Right. But let's try this. Chin tuck doesn't work, right head turn doesn't work, but a left head turn and a superglottic do work and we train it and Every time I do that with you, you maybe only cough once or twice a session right. versus mm -hmm. every other time. Valuable I've information. Still, That's valuable. It's valuable. valuable information. I've given you some treatment strategies mm -hmm. to definitively say they have worked. Would we need a fluoro? To definitively say yes. But how many times in medicine does your doctor give you an antibiotic because it will probably treat your symptoms without actually it, testing it, to see but if that's you have okay. And that's and good. It is okay. What you're the example you gave is exactly what should be happening, which is first of all, when we say worked, we should say reduced coughing, mm -hmm. not reduced aspiration. Right. That's what I see in these notes. When they no one ever yes. saw where a bolus went, you can't say aspiration eliminated with how yeah. did you even know it was there in the yeah. first yeah, place? Reduced yeah. And there are times, let's agree that exactly. there are times where you see a patient where 50-50 chance, they're, they're coughing every time you give them thin and you're like, ah, 50-50 chance it's aspiration, right? There are some patients where you are 99.99999% sure that they are aspirating, but you cannot definitively say that they are. Mm -hmm. You have those patients where you're like, I would, I would bet my house on this right now. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I bet my house, but in I, Vegas. But yeah. <laughs> there is a chance they might not be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a crapshoot. Would you, also working in acute care though, bring that patient that 
hot topic you think is aspirating. But don't you want to know why, why? they're aspirating? Yes. Uh, That's what you're treating. You, you know what? See? Knowing that somebody fell because you found them on the floor is not enough for a PT. Mm-hmm. You can't well, just be like, fall, therefore treatment is this. Well, why did they fall? Right. So, depends. Because I'm in the neuro ICU. Some of these patients tomorrow, they're a different person. So do I want to know yeah. why they're aspirating today when... But you don't know they're different... aspirating Wait, today. Yeah, yeah, I know. You don't I, know they're aspirating As the clinician, today. you guys are talking about two different things, yeah. and I know what you're talking about. Oh, okay. okay. You're talking you're about the patient Best? that is not... a. Per- they are drowning in their secretions, and yeah. they're not... The ones that you know won't do well in a fluoro... Let's rule yeah. out the people who don't yeah. need okay. Come on, guys. <laughs> I, what, what, what we need to talk about are the patients that are stable and they're fine. Yes. I'm talking but, about people who can go to floral. Oh, those I would yes. bring down in a heartbeat. For sure. I've seen so many UESs that just don't open, and that's the only reason why they're asking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can we agree that the, the purpose of the floro is to figure out why they're asking. It's the mechanism test. It's the test of dysphagia, the mechanism. It's because not a test. bringing them down, you already think that there's a problem. Yeah, it's not mm-hmm. a confirmation yeah. thing. And oh, can two things I really want. Wait, Rinky, do you have something Rink- to say? I know, Rinky, sorry. You're like, <laughs> guys, shut no, up. No, it's fine. I mean, I think, but I already think we agree on what the flora does and what its role is and the fact that if we have to identify any kind of impairment and visualize it, you need a floral. So, I guess we should come back to the utility of the clinical exactly. setting. Thanks for re- raining us. No, that's where I was going. Rain in Rinky. The- <laughs> yeah. Rinky, were you done? Because I was. Oh, I mean, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to it's really hard to communicate without non-verbal communication, and I think I'm gonna like drive that home with my aphasia patients tomorrow, just because <laughs> I don't know what you guys are like thinking or. Um, yeah, I think we don't know what I was done, but. Again, being in long-term care, like, I just think there are those, some patients, if I have someone with COPD and he just has, like, respiratory swallow in coordination and I see coughing um, every other time, I I mean, I don't know if I always want to know why he's coughing. I think I'm okay trying a couple of strategies at bedside and then um, seeing if they're helpful and if he's safely tolerating whatever he's eating. I, I mean, maybe that patient won't need a fluoro even if I had access to it, so... I think adding on to what you guys were saying, every patient may not be a candidate for a fluoro, even if they want to go for one or, you know, they present with symptoms that might make you think that they need one. But how do you know they're tolerating? What does that mean for you? I know you you keep saying this. What does the word tolerate mean? It's like Beth said, if you're looking at, let's just assume this person has... Um, is able to cough voluntarily, so we know he can protect his airway. And if something we don't know, we don't know there's anything the in his airway though Wait, to protect. I have to, I have to time you guys out for a second because this is really funny to me. I know Dr. Humbert really, really well, and sometimes there are things that get said that it's like in the movies when you see the person open the door and it's dark down in the basement, and you're like, why are you walking in the basement? It's dark. Like, all horror movies end badly this way. This is how I feel, where I'm like, why are you walking down the basement? Like, this is, it's dark. It's the what are you word. doing? Don't ignore, ignore Alicia. She's just trying to get you in trouble, Rinky. That's all it is. And you are, uh, you are totally on great, stable footing. My only question is, what does tolerate mean? Because I think this is something that I see in notes at clinical swallowing valves and people mean different things. So I'm just asking you, what does it mean when you say they're tolerating it okay? And so far what you were able to say is, well, if they're coughing, they're probably able to protect them their airway. And I was getting ready to say, but we don't even know if there's anything to protect. And we don't know if that cough was actually productive. 
We know they coughed. That's all we you know. know. I was going to add to that by saying, let's assume the person is able to cough, right? So yep. I'm, and I've not seen anything else in the chest X-ray or the history. This, this is that's a predictor of aspiration. That I'm, that's kind of a red flag for me. And then maybe this person is just having some trouble with regular solids, and I, I change it to soft solids, and I don't see the same issues that I've been noticing. I don't see those issues anymore, and I've just taught him to pace himself, coordinate his breathing and swallowing, take small bites and sips, reduce the rate of intake. So, so now that person is not struggling as much, maybe he's not breathing at 30 um, breaths per minute, and he's now kind of slowed down with his meal, and he took a longer time to finish, but he was able to finish the entire meal without coughing at all. Mm-hmm. I would say he tolerated the change in diet and he is safer for soft yeah. solids over regular solids. It's sort of like so, Wait, can I can I just say something really quickly? Mm-hmm. What you've said means that those numbers and those counts change. So the only problem I have with tolerating, it, it assumes that you know that something is better. And all you know is that he coughed mm-hmm. less, he bre- his breathing was uh, more changed. And why don't we just say that patient coughed this many times, breathing changed to this, and this amount of the meal was eaten. But to interpret it as a, to tolerating, it means that you understand what those changes in numbers actually represent. And then the next person reads the report and says, oh, this works. We don't know if it works, and there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with not interpreting it. And simply, as you said, Alicia, document the objective information we have and not giving a subjective overview that we can never confirm. I think a good analogy is, you know, if you're a patient that walks into an appointment with a neurologist and they say, I've had a headache like for a week, it's really bad, it's really painful, and the doctor is thinking, well, it could, maybe they've had some sort of stroke or tumor, like something really big, right? Or maybe Uh it's, it's nothing. And you say, you know what, I want you to take 600 milligrams of ibuprofen and it's better but we don't really know why it's better but it's better so is the physician necessarily going to order a ct an mri do a full workup we don't actually know the physiology of why it's better, but we know it's better and we're okay with it. We that. know the yeah. symptoms have decreased. The, the That's symptoms not that it's decreased. better. The, the physician can never say the patient tolerates the headache better. We can just simply say that the, me- the medica- medication the managed the symptoms. Right, like the so, strategy yeah. managed the symptoms. That's right, like but, a, but the tumor so could be growing the, all the while. Yeah, so we're just saying the signs of the problem yeah. have been reduced. Exactly. And, I, and that's okay. Yeah, and I've listened to all to all of us, myself included. I feel like we really are all in agreement when we're going to the core of what we're saying. Yeah. Yeah. What we're really uh-huh. arguing about is the semantics, semantics. of it. But yeah. the semantics are important because that's what, goes, that's what goes down in history. It's mm-hmm. how you document this. It's yes. what Alicia was saying about documentation. That's ultimately what matters. So when you say this person this eliminated aspiration, people are gonna read that who don't know and say, oh, this person doesn't need a floral because at the bedside you told me that the chin tuck eliminated aspiration. But there's so many problems Mm -hmm. with that statement. One is they don't know that you can't confirm it. And two, we don't know if it was eliminated. It could have been silent that second time. Right. So I think the art is to be able to zoom in, zoom out, zoom in, zoom out. Yeah. Stay in your lane as well. Not just just palpating, not just auscultating, not just looking for a cough, not Not just just changing the thickness, but doing all of it and then looking at the patient as a whole Mm -hmm. and understanding the value of each of those things by themselves or as part of the toolbox. Exactly. Because this is the discussion I have with my students. 
Well, Dr. So-and-so, any, yeah. Yeah, Dr. So-and-so said palpation isn't good or it's not accurate, so why are you palpating? Yeah. Well, this is what it can tell me and this mm-hmm. is what it can't tell mm-hmm. me, but it's part of the bigger picture. So I don't think it's a it's – a, it's a question of semantics and it's also a question of understanding what value do the tools we have actually have. I palpate all the time yeah. patients, mm-hmm. but I don't say, therefore, they had adequate laryngeal exactly. elevation. Exactly, exactly. Because I don't know that. I know right. that something moved and I can say laryngeal movement appreciated when – and afterward, when they opened their mouth, yeah. the bolus was gone. So, so I know I know that they swallow. managed to get the bolus into their pharynx, and there was laryngeal movement. I can't say that that was a swallow. I can't say it cleared the UES. That's all I can say. Right. Yeah. Um, Rinky, did you want to go ahead and say what you're going to say? I don't really remember what I was going to say. I think I was just going to um, talk about documentation. I was going to piggyback on what Alicia said, but if someone, even when you are documenting your clinical website, you should do it in a way that the next person who picks up your evaluation knows exactly what happened mm-hmm. in your assessment. So I, I see a lot of clinicians say, um, coughed with solids. You're not even telling me was it before or after the swallow. You're not telling me how many trials you presented of what kinds of solids and the mode of delivery. You know, was it a voluntary cough that was that you instructed the patient to do to clear his voice? I, I just feel like even when we are documenting in our clinical exam, we just really need to be careful about being as explicit and as specific as we can about what we did Especially in the exam. Especially in the clinical eval. I'm, I'm about to sound a little bit like Inessa here, but um, when you talk <laughs> about before, after the swallow with solids, how do we not know that it's residue from something else? I mm-hmm. kind of talk about like I had given them up to this much and at this point the patient was doing this, but um, I've just seen a lot of patients where they're just compounding residue on a fluoroscopy, which I never would have known at bedside, and eventually they aspirate some of the residue, but it was the residue they were aspirating, not the solid bolus. But it's still useful you know? to know that, yeah. it's still useful to know when coughing happened. The point is about yeah. interpretation. Exactly. So the issue is here that we're worried, you know, some people say, well, don't, don't say, like uh, somebody was saying, I shouldn't say people don't need protocols. They should be able to figure it out themselves. Well, you can't say that because, you know, some clinicians are going to go out there and do this. So it's almost like people are so worried that some clinicians going to go out there and mess up that they don't do anything at all. So I, I think if you say that they cough before or after, it's just what you observed. It's still mm-hmm. a true observation, but we don't actually know when they swallowed. So maybe that's really the issue. We can't even say if they swallowed, much less where the cough inserted into all the behaviors that we're not seeing. Yeah, right? We could say it happened, but what does it mean? What does yeah. it even mean? But honestly, some students do are trained by, it's unfortunate, but some supervisors do train them to literally just observe somebody at a meal. Yeah. That is not your clinical bedside swallow exam and they don't know any better because that's what they're being trained to yeah. do. It, it's just really unfortunate. So anyone listening who feels, I just have a very big issue with people who become so defensive and say, but I have clinical experience, so my palpation or my cervical auscultation, I don't want to go down that route, but on my pulse oximetry exactly told me that this person has residue or premature spillage and you're just not good enough yet, but when you have more experience, you'll be able to do it. I'm so glad just you stop said doing that, that because you don't have x-ray vision like that's just something we have to agree as a field we cannot do rinky that you just totally segued me to the two things i wanted to say one thing i wanted to say is whenever we do our uh, ctdm meeting 
I get so many young people who either raise their hand or come to me afterward and say, I'm so glad you're saying this because at my clinical placement or my externship, it's like I can't figure out what everybody's figuring out. And they're making me seem like I'm I'm just too young because I say that, well, I, I heard that you can only confirm that with a fluoro. And they're like, mm, when you get better experience, you won't need that fluoro so much. It's exactly. almost like, no, what, since we're on the neurologist tip, which neurologist says, um, honey, when you're good at really understanding slurred speech, you're not going to need that MRI? No, it, it, they're two different tests. One is a clinical test to see if the instrumentation should happen. They test different things. It's not like they test the same thing, but you're just too stupid to figure it out without more money and more time and more resources and more radiation exposure and barium. Mm -hmm. The fact is you cannot confirm these things. So I also hear clinicians say, well, but I, I, every time I do a fluoro, I'm right. And what I suspected at the bedside was what I thought. So I just stopped doing fluoros because I'm so damn good. And just like, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And I I'm just like, wow, okay, so let me just take my stupid self elsewhere because clearly <laughs> I need a fluoro to see if the bolus one is the UES or not. Because I couldn't hear it or whatever well, it was, the guess was. <laughs> I mean, I play the guessing game too, but I'm still doing fluoros because, hey... I mean, listen, if I was a gambler and my swallow studies were gambling, I'd be winning a lot of money. But when you lose, you lose big. Yeah. And I've definitely had those patients where I'm like, well, their chest x-rays look weird, but they look fine at bedside. But sure, I'll take them. And I have been absolutely shocked mm -hmm. by what I find. So if you can't explain to a student why you've come to the conclusion you have come to, and teach them to do the same thing, then you're not using science. Science is repeatable, it is teachable, it is systematic. Mm -hmm. um, and I was told that as a student, so it's like hot button topic, because yeah. you, you can't just go by observations. You may be a really good mm -hmm. guesser, but you're still gonna guess wrong from time to time. Right. Um, the other thing that I wanted to say that I'm surprised nobody mentioned, so I've been waiting and holding on to this, is <laughs> to me, the clinical bedside evaluation is so, so good for sensory testing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is a sensory testing hotbed, and no, everyone's trying to figure out motor. The one thing we can't damn well do well is what moved where, but you would never go to fluoro to do sensory testing. In fact, the only way we can suspect sensory issues is silent aspiration or residue that they say there's nothing there and there's like a big honk and you know right. gunk in their piriform They're like nope there's nothing there so those are the two clues we have in floral but really think about the rich way that we can test sensory information we can test cranial nerves specifically across the tongue if you understand how the topographic mm -hmm. map of mm -hmm. how innervation is on the tongue with general sensation special sensation for taste. You can taste test the heart palate. You can ask when they felt things and when they didn't. Does this feel numb? You can test the, some of the same cranial nerves that are actually involved in swallowing if you know where to poke and if you know how to ask. But we don't use the clinical bedside evaluation for the other part of swallowing that is as important as movement because swallowing is a tight coupling of sensory motor integration. So if you didn't feel it, why would you respond to it? If you don't see a ball hurling toward your head, why are you going to duck, right? Mm -hmm. You know, that's so interesting because I'm thinking about in kids, occupational therapists still do feeding therapy, but it's becoming more and more common that SLPs will do it, including the kids that have sensory feeding issues. So when you're doing a feeding therapy with a child, 
it's so sensory focused. And I still find myself doing this saying, well, let's give them things that are really, really cold because that's what they handle the best and that's what they react to quickly. But you don't see the same thing in adults. And now that I pull myself back, I'm thinking of myself and with a few exceptions, I'm not doing the same thing with an adult that I do as a child, mm -hmm. but we have the same sensory systems. Right. So and one is just more developed than the other. So why aren't I carrying that over? And it's interesting to think about now that you say it. Yeah. I, I mean, the oral, when we talk about the bedside and it comes to the, we were talking about the oral phase, it should be all about sensory. Sensory. Yeah. yeah. And I, you know, there's a really great article by Katrina Steele and Art Miller that they published in 2010 that talks yes. about the importance of um, sensation in the swallow. And one thing they say that I, I use in my talks a lot that I pull from that article is oral sensation modulates the swallow to accommodate the properties of the bolus. And that is okay. key, that it's all about the oral cavity's ability to decide the volume of the bolus, the weight of the bolus, the consistency, the texture, so that the pharynx can accommodate that. So by not testing the sensory components of the oral cavity, you're really missing a huge piece of what we're looking at. And so here's how it's easy to do it. First thing is that if it's the or the hallmark of dysphagia is one's inability to eat a wide range of bolus types without either significant residue or aspiration. That's why that's how we decide someone has dysphagia. Whereas you and I, we go from a banana to an apple to you know water to pudding, and we don't go, okay, this is water. Let me think about this. Let me make a plan. The system, you already know what's happening before it even gets to your mouth. And patients, they can have this, but they can't have that. If they're super, super severe, they can't even handle their secretions, but we don't see that quite as much as the, I can't have thins and I can't have you know puddings or whatever, right? So that means that there's a breakdown somewhere. It could be sensory, meaning the brainstem's not getting the right information, or it could be the brainstem's getting the right information and sending the wrong command, or it's sending the right command and there's no act, the execution's bad somehow. We need to figure out where that chain of information is broken. And before we go to floral, if we're even lucky to do it, we still do our patients a disservice. Even if you have floros all the time, you always choose the right time to do floros. If you have an adequately tested sensation, you could get you get significantly less information at floral because mm -hmm. you don't know which part of the loop is out. And there's floral is not the place to test that. Mm -hmm. So you can refine your instrumental better that way. And so mm -hmm. one thing that people do is they give all these different boluses and they don't ask if the boluses are different from one another. Mm -hmm. Isn't that a massive clue? You gave somebody a thin liquid and maybe they responded one way or another. Then you give them a nectar, then you gave them a honey or you did the opposite direction, whatever. And you say, hey, I gave you three different things. Were they different in any way? No, yes. How, they should be able to say, yes, they felt thicker or no, they, they were the same or you changed the volume in the same mm -hmm consistency. Did, were those boluses different? No, they were the same. And you know you increase them by 10, um, by 10 mm -hmm. ml. So if they can't even t tell that there's a difference, you can't expect the swallow and fluoro to show a difference. So pulling back to the topic at hand, could we then say that neither the bedside nor the fluoro is a comprehensive assessment, but both together are? Of Absolutely. Of course. So they're both partial assessments. Yes. They well, both are partial assessments. So We've sort of, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about semantics, but we got hung up on clinical swallow eval, the word swallow, not mm -hmm. the word eval, right? Mm -hmm. What would we rename it? 
um, clinical dysphagia assessment because we are assessing. We can't just part of we can't we we can't no. we can't test dysphagia at the bedside. This is why though. I come back to screen. It's a screen. <laughs> oh, I don't like that word. I but don't, why? Because I'm an acute care therapist and it's been drilled it's into me. Not maybe not a. Um, how do I want to say this? A swallow. It's a swallow screen. It is. I don't know. That's my. Let's find something better then. <laughs> I guess it doesn't even matter. Like at the end of it, I think the most important thing is everyone should know what it what it can and cannot do. And if you know, let's throw fees in there. We keep saying floral, but I know a lot of people are like right. fees advocates, and that's peeps. all they have access to. So and you it's can a good combine tool. information from all of these tests and your um the influence of labs and medications and your chart review and put it all together and like a good detective, you know, you're just solving the puzzle. And if you have additional instrumentation to test your hypothesis, that's awesome. But if you don't, at least don't do disservice to the patient by saying that you're seeing things which we physically cannot see. And I, I just think we need to focus on what the evaluation can um, assess. And if what we're, if we're able to assess the patient's ability, let's just document that and try to keep their disability aside, if right. that makes I love sense. Because we, we would all be... So I don't know if you guys are familiar with this radio show called Car Talk where people call in. Yes, like, I hate okay. that show. <laughs> I love it. But the point is, let's say you had your call-in mechanic or you called into Car Talk. They can give you best guess, but they always say take it to your mechanic or look under the hood. They don't say, even if they're joking and freaking frack says, get a new car. They're still laughing yeah. and joking, but really they haven't seen anything. And you could be incorrect in your assessment, right? So to me, doing a clinical evaluation of swallowing or of dysphagia, whatever we would call it, um, and never seeing the mechanism, but making specific diagnostic diagnostics and then treatments for that is the same thing as calling into a mechanic and saying, my car goes whenever I press the gas and they go, okay, buy a new car. And you oh go, okay. God. We need swallow talk where people call Oh my in gosh. And they're like, so yes. I have a patient that sounds like, I know, when I, know. I give thins and we're like, well, Wait, but you know, this. but you know what we, what, you know what they do? They always ask a zillion questions to the person. They go, okay, have you noticed this gassy smell? Have you noticed this? Yeah. So whoever calls in and to the swallow end, talk, it's still go to the mechanic. Yeah, no, at the, the end of the day, we're still gonna go do a floral or yeah. do instrumental. Yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> we could, could be a dysphagia a risk assessment. Dysphagia risk assessment. Yeah, just, just I like the idea of risk being in it, but you mm -hmm. know, for the sake of billing. I don't want, you know, yeah. people to, you know, I get that part, but I think what you're saying, Beth, is what we should think of it as. Yes. It doesn't matter that the code calls it this. We should be thinking of it as a dysphagia risk assessment yeah. slash screening, whatever. Okay, yeah. not screening. I know, but the idea of risk makes assessment less. We can still call it an eval. We can still call it a clinical swallow eval of risk. So a DSE. <laughs> yes. a We're evaluating the risk. Wait, wait, dysphagia DR. DRE. D-R-E. D-R-A. Like Dr. Dre. So is that what I'm going out to on? Dre. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it's always, billing's always going to be the lowest common denominator. So things are going to be written to appease the payer at the end of the day. So either we need to change our understanding of what we mean when we say assessment, or mm -hmm. we need to come up with another word. Yeah. That's it's, it's all about It's all about how we view this. Yeah. 
thing and getting it right, no one's going to come to us and say, as a field, you guys shouldn't be calling it that. It's our job to get it right. Mm -hmm. And so that was the purpose of this conversation is, and I think that's exactly what we got across. We got a range of opinions. Mm -hmm. I loved all the opinions. And I think there's probably someone out there who resonates with one thing mm -hmm. and also who wants to punch somebody in the face <laughs> on this panel. Like somebody's probably. like, oh, why did she say that? But I think if I could summarize, I think that what it really comes down to is documentation, yeah. in my opinion, yeah. that we're documenting but it's what you're documenting. It's it's, yeah. it's appropriate documenting word what choice. you saw mm -hmm. and not overinterpreting mm -hmm. and not okay. misusing it to mean something that it can never do, actually be used for. Yes. Yeah. It's semantics. Yeah. Are we using the right words when we are communicating what we saw? Hey guys, can you whip out your letters and can we sing kumbaya or <laughs> I know. Um, don't, wor don't worry, be happy or something like that? <laughs> we get wanted to be like texting you emojis. We're talking to Yanasa. In just my, I might be wrong. I might have missed some seminal paper that kind of assessed that. But I think a lot of the, a lot of the researchers have tried to assess what the clinical bedside like indicators do to predict aspiration. But I would love to see research tying in the different components of a clinical bedside swallow exam to swallowing physiology, which I haven't seen. So unless there's a paper out there that you can recommend, I'd love to see that kind of being discussed more in the research as well. I think the point is that you can't. Yeah, that's the point. I, there, if a study even does find that a cough 60% of the time, you know, 20% of the time means the epiglottis didn't invert, well, what about the other 80? Mm -hmm. And then people are going to, you know, I'm going to be that person who says, well, don't do that because then they're going to take that and run with it. Then it's going to be like, uh, oh, well, yeah. when they cough, epiglottic didn't epiglottic yeah. syndrome because this paper said that that well, must be. Well, even certain populations, like I know the there's um, certain populations that have a higher propensity of having UES dysfunction. Still, when you see a patient at the bedside and all they complain about is globus sensation with puree, you still can't say that it's UES, UES dysfunction. Yeah. Even right. though, like OPMD patients, that have, a lot of them have um, esophageal structures, they have UES, um, you know, poor opening, It's you still can't see it. Yeah. yeah. So well, I think and Rinky, there was a study, one of my students brought me, just a single site study, where they took a bunch of therapists that had at least 10 years of experience. They took the patients that those therapists had assessed, and they brought them down to fluoro and saw if they aspirated, and then correlated that to the patient, to the bedside assessment to see how accurate these therapists were. And they found they were pretty darn accurate. Like, I think it was like 90%, but that just means they were pretty good at guessing 90% of the time. Um, I don't know of anything other than that. it still doesn't say anything yeah. about why they aspirated. No, it doesn't. It doesn't also, give you a full assessment. It's just, also, were they good at guessing? Yeah. Also, I don't want my medical personnel guessing when they can get an answer. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like, I don't guess. Like, let's, yeah, <laughs> like, let's, we do guess. I am. We, we guess at the bedside, and then we say we guess. Well, we just put it in better terminology. It doesn't mm -hmm. sound like we're a bunch of guessers. Right. But the point is, we don't know, and that's okay. There's plenty of things we actually don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, guys, this was fun. Yep. Good this talk. This was fun. Thanks, thanks Rinky, for tolerating really Thank us. Thank you. 
Thanks for tolerating us, Rinky. <laughs> Why are you making me the bad guy? I'm, I'm in agreement with all of you. And Rinky, I can't count how many times my goal has been patient will tolerate regular diet, thin liquids, without signs or symptoms of aspiration. I mean, that's... Overt signs and symptoms. That's the most common goal any of us write. And now when I look back, I'm like, what was I thinking? What am I saying? Hey, we all said it. You're going to find totally. notes out there where I'm just like, I don't know what I was doing. But you know what? The point is, you live, you learn, you have your responsibility to improve. Uh-huh. All right, y'all. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.